You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. In this episode, Carlos and Satch challenge the wisdom of common sayings, offering alternatives, improved versions. And in a couple of cases, Carlos reveals his own misunderstanding about a few common phrases that is actually pretty hilarious. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Carlos, it is good to be paired up with you again. This is our first duo show, you and I, of 2019. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, because we've done interviews of other people, fascinating people, but but we haven't done this, this... uh, exchange that we love to do so much. Yeah. And uh, tonight we're going to be exploring sayings, terms, you know, um, anecdotes, yeah, memes, things like that, that, that we believe are worth being challenged. Challenged and just peering into, if nothing else. The early bird gets the worm. (laughs) Work-life balance. Mm, Very good. Very good. Drastic times call for drastic measures. (sighs) Fall in love. Oh, that's going to be a fun one. Um, Political science. (laughs) (laughs) Compassion fatigue. Nice guys finish last. Codependent. Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Is is there one of those right now that really sticks in your craw? Ooh, compassion fatigue. Let's talk about it. Because this is a term that I have heard a bunch of times. It's a term I've used. It's even a term that I've experienced. Yeah. Let's peek behind the curtain. Well, as you know, compassion is a big thing. For, for both of us, uh, oh, you yeah. know, the meditation that we study, the just the life path we're on as healers, things like that. And it's a very popular term in psychology, you know, this compassion fatigue, this idea that, you know, you can wear out just sort of helping people and, and getting uh, exposed to their problems and, you know, as, as a therapist or as a coach or, um, you know, a priest or a mentor of any kind, right? You, mm. you, you know, th- this could potentially be something. Yeah. However... I want to challenge the basic foundation of that statement. Please do. Please because do, yeah. compassion itself, as I'm growing to understand in my experience, is not empathy. It's not that empathy isn't related to compassion or that um, it may not lead to the growth of compassion. But as I understand compassion more and more, and as I practice it in my life, I'm realizing that it's potentially unlimited so if the nice. if you're getting compassion fatigue, it could be that you have um, maybe misappropriated the word, or you've misunderstood the word, or you're misapplying the principles that you're associating incorrectly with compassion when it's really something else. Maybe it's empathy. Yeah, you know, maybe it's getting sucked into people's problems or whatever it is, entering their model of the world too much. Yeah, and you're experiencing their pain rather than being a light, rather than you know grounding yourself in the truth and in wisdom and in solidity so that you can be um, the person lowering the rope down in, you know, in the, in the pit where they are. Instead, you're falling in, you're getting sucked in, you're feeling mm-hmm. battered by their psychic uh, field, if you will, their emotions and their whole uh, presence. And then you, you complain of being tired, you feel drained. So I don't really think that compassion fatigue is the right term. And I think if you use that term, in a way, it could be hypnotic in a negative sense. It could um, retrain your mind to be less compassionate and less capable of serving the people in your life. Mm. I think that that what we really need to aim for is this idea that I really have grown um, friendly towards, and it's George Pransky. He wrote this book, uh, I think it's called The Relationship Handbook or Relationship Manual. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. Mm. But he wrote this, and he talks about compassion as being this wonderful, um, like a light or an energy that, that comes into and, and surrounds your organs. It surrounds the, the inner self and it acts like a, maybe like a shield or a protective layering that, that can allow you to not only, um, be more present for the people you love, but see them as human beings and not allow their problems to become your problems. Yeah. Allows you to be strong yeah. for them. Allows you to, to say, Hey, um, you know, as, as Daniel Gutierrez said, you know, I'm not going to 
get sucked into your problems, but I love you. You know, I love you for who you sure. are, you know, spiritual love, agape. I love you and I believe in you and I'm going to be right here um, through whatever you're going through, but I'm not going to get sucked in. I'm not going to allow you to destroy my mood mm, because you nice. can't solve yeah. things from a low mood. You have to solve them from a high mood. You've got to raise your frequency, raise your vibration, raise your thoughts, raise your, you know, the, the, the mental space that you're in because only in a resourceful space can you come up with a solution. If you're yeah. stuck in a low mood, well, how the hell are you going to solve anything? Yeah. So I'm starting to see compassion as something to really work on, to really develop and, I don't ever want to be thinking in my head that I'll have compassion fatigue. I'd rather say empathy fatigue. Okay. Because when I recognize that fatigue, it's probably because I've been too empathetic rather than, or too empathic, maybe is yeah. the right word, um, than compassionate. I see yeah. the, the yeah. images of like the Buddha or, or Mother Teresa or some of these wonderful um, beings that have existed as possessing an incredible amount of compassion an incredible amount of faith in themselves and, you know, faith in the underlying humanity. And that's not something that fatigues, mm -hmm. in my opinion. It's something mm -hmm. that develops and you can grow it into a mighty force Yeah, and apply it. Sounds like you're describing compassion um, more as a resource, like an energetic yeah. power that's a tool in your toolbox that you can reach for maybe when you need energy. Right. You know, um, you know, I'm feeling empathy fatigue. Maybe I could use a little dose of compassion right now. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting this image of, uh, that flame inside of you. And when you're getting quote compassion fatigue mm -hmm. that we're risking our flame, we're getting it too close to a wet surface or something. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, let that flame burn your engine and keep it going. Exactly. You know? Yeah. If that's happening, if you're getting quote unquote compassion fatigue, yeah, then maybe you've got to a really serious misunderstanding. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not quite right. You're thinking of it a little bit, um, you're thinking around it as a little off kilter. It's not quite, you haven't quite tuned into what compassion is. Yeah. That's a good point because you know, that word compassion fatigue, uh, <clears throat> is actually widely used in the healthcare field. Oh, because okay. uh, it, this is written about a lot. Right. And so mm -hmm. if there's anybody who's listening to this right now, and you're a nurse or a doctor or a therapist or something, and maybe you're going, what do you mean? You're criticizing compassion fatigue, right? right. I, I would say, um, uh, I read about all this too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things that you learn when you're learning about job burnout. Right. It's usually associated with, with job burnout. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think what you're saying, Carlos, is, is, is there's a different angle on this. Let's not just completely accept the term for what it is. You know, I mean, like we could use the term loosely and understand that, yeah, I, what I mean is I'm tired. I don't have enough energy to constantly dealing with these sick people all the time or whatever it is, but it's, but you're, you're pointing that there's something a little different about this. Well, yeah. And, and, and why not exchange the term anyway? It is empathy that you're mm. feeling, you know, empathy yeah. fatigue. And, and, and maybe that's not the professional term yet, uh -huh. but if people realize that, that maybe that's not what it's all about and, and, and they realize it's a, it's a misunderstanding at its foundation, yeah. then maybe the word will change. Maybe the, the phrase that people use will start to shift. I mean, things happen in, yeah. in uh, um, professional organizations where an idea can catch. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would love it. I would love to see that. I would love to see that people understand it differently because um, you know, what they don't teach in school is how to develop compassion. Now, if your school happens to be a Buddhist school that teaches healthcare, then they probably would. They'll yeah. have meditation classes and they'll have, I mean, that does exist. I mean, Naropa Institute, for example, sure. has a psychology department. I don't know what else they do, yeah. but there are a lot of um, places where you can develop that. But if you don't get it from school and you don't have it naturally developing in you because of your upbringing or whatever, there are ways you can develop it. I mean, meditation, sure. well, the sure. right kind of meditation, because there's lots of meditations out there. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. Right, there are certain kinds of meditations that can um, specifically develop compassion. Well, you know, um, uh, I, I went to school at Loma Linda University, mm -hmm. which uh, is a Seventh-day Adventist institution. Okay. So it comes with um, a particular uh, set of values. Um, many of the, the professors and, and, and a large student body there are Seventh-day Adventist, right? Mm. And one of the things that they did a really good job of is really training us on that um, patient-practitioner interaction skill. 
Mm. Yeah, they, like they, the bedside they, they put, manner kind of thing? Yeah, bedside manner. Yeah. And, and some of the faculty of religion that taught some of our courses were um, chaplains, long time, well-trained chaplains. And I learned a lot from, from those individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the most beneficial things that I learned, and I've talked about this with you before, is, um, well, let me back up. <laughs> Usually when you're reading about compassion fatigue and job burnout as terms in like textbooks they usually draw a distinction between the word pity and the word empathy right where where pity is where you are sort of putting yourself in the other person's shoes and then they look at empathy more as you standing next to the person viewing the problem with them but i think interesting but i think what's happened is the word empathy or maybe the more noun identity version of that term to be an empath has become kind of a zeitgeist term now it's sort of you know yeah uh, it's it's a it's it's a it's a big topic you didn't hear people calling themselves empaths 15 years ago as much as you do today true and and i think identifying as an empath for many of us has allowed us to slip into that pity mode without realizing it right and you know, full disclosure here, mm-hmm. I definitely identify myself as an empath and a highly yes. sensitive person. Uh, you do. I mean, there's do. no, yeah. as do I, you know, no mistake, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and I've had to work through that. Um, and if, if I hadn't worked through it, um, or let's, let's put it this way, continually working through it, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> I'm getting right. better and better at it, um, right, at, right. at being the kind of person who can not just be an awkward fucktard. Sure. Um, you yeah, know, because sure. that, that I've had many awkward fucktard moments uh, and I'll admit that fully. Uh, um, yeah. I would and, not know what you're talking about at all. But, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, being highly sensitive to things, you know, you, you feel let as though you are feeling their stuff. Yeah. And that may be true. Mm-hmm. Um, or it may not be, but the point is you really experience it as true. Correct. And yeah. it does alter yeah. the way you experience things yeah. in a big way. Yeah. And, 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 um, that, cause you know this, yeah, we, we are getting into semantics here, right? Yeah. Um, but that's good. That is good. That's a semantics wonderful thing. Are wonderful. Semantics are wonderful. They help clarify. They things. really do. They really do. And so, um, the words, I think, you know, empath really, the, the original warning was, I mean, they didn't use this term, but they were trying to war- warn you about becoming a pity path. Right. You know, don't, don't pity the fool. Right. I pity you know the fool. Mean? Sucker. Yeah. Stand next to them and view the problem as, as an ally. So you can, so you're not standing in their shoes because you can't solve the problem from standing in their shoes. Right. You have to be able to relate close to their position, you Indeed. know? Um, but you know, I, I, this, this, this is, this is really important. Compassion is energizing, isn't it? I mean, like it really I, is. I feel I, better when I'm being I, compassionate. I do too. You know, and I gotta Not say, worse. um, there are times when, and I've misused this term. I'm glad we're having this conversation because mm. I've misused this concept mm. of compassion fatigue at home with my wife. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, you know, uh, it's no secret. I'm a, I'm, I'm quite the caregiver at home. Right. Yeah, you are. And one of the things that actually energizes me when I'm feeling quote, compassion fatigue is actually compassion. Hmm. Th- th- there are times when I don't have the energy mm-hmm. to maybe do something that's going to be difficult to take care of my wife. But if I take a minute and I, I think about her and how precious she is yeah, and what an honor it is for me to be the person to be able to, to lift some of her burden, that's what gives me energy. You get to be her hero. Yeah, I get to. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And so wow. that put that just pumps chi through my channels. You know what I mean? It gives yeah. me energy and it's like, all right, here we go. Let's get on the toilet. It's bravery. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's uh it reminds me of Kelly McGonigal when she talks about um how to make stress your friend. Uh, the oh, difference between yes. you remember that? The yes, difference I between do. I do. you know, sort of yeah. reacting to the stress and getting the high blood pressure signals where you know your heart's pumping really hard and your vessels constrict. Yeah. Versus reframing it as, you know, stress makes me stronger and thinking about all the ways in which it makes you stronger and realizing that the body's processes are just ramping up to handle the stress. If you reframe it that way, then what happens is yes, your heart might beat harder. However, your vessels open instead of close, which mm, matches yeah. very closely the the physiology of courage and bravery. Yeah. So you become beautiful. more brave, you become a hero, you become able to handle the situation mm. just by reframing it like that. So I think the lesson here is that compassion itself is the secret sauce for this so-called compassion fatigue. Yeah, I wonder where we've heard that before. Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. Okay. Well, and I do want to say that I think 
having the capacity for empathy is so important. Oh my God. I oh, mean, that's, that's what makes the <laughs> human nice, world go around. Absolutely. You know? And it, yeah. it's, it's nice. Um, it's nice to know when someone has a capacity for empathy that they're not a sociopath or a psychopath and, and, and that they've developed the ability to relate with others. And, and it could very well be a potential road towards development of compassion. Yeah. But it's not based on compulsions. Mm, and I yeah. think that's where the big difference yeah. is. It's like, uh, I think, you know, a lot of empathy could be just sort of a compulsion. It could even sure. be an obsessive compulsion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's no control over that. But as you learn to transmute, to use an alchemical term, empathy and start to look for what is the refining, uh, redeeming quality inside this empathy. It's the fact that I care. Yeah. Well, if I care, what's the, you know, most profoundly helpful thing I can do? Mm-hmm. Nice. It's not yeah. being empathetic or empathic. I keep <laughs> I keep making that mistake. Yeah. It's not being empathic it's being compassionate because that's where wisdom flows and that's where your energy is and that's what you're stimulating in the other person yeah because you want them to come out of their low mood you've got to go into a high mood but you've got to be able to match them at some level right sure. that's how you you don't go out of rapport yeah but if you're just yeah. totally in rapport with them and you're in such a low mood then you stay there and boy you feel like you've been hit by a ton of bricks yeah and how are you sure, supposed to help sure. them to get out when you feel like that done and you know i think this is a, a perfect transition into uh my first saying Ooh. the sticks in my craw because it's kind of related to to the one that we just talked about what sticks in your craw what sticks Hatch? in my craw let's is, get it out is this term that i have a love-hate relationship with because hate relationship yes, is that it yeah this isn't the one <laughs> this is not, that, that's not the term um because sometimes i find this one i'm about to say to be true uh-huh. and sometimes i know it's complete hogwash and that's that no good deed goes unpunished. Ooh, yeah. Heard I've that heard, a lot. I've, I've heard this many, many times. And uh, in my particular field in education where I work, um, there have been many times that this term has come up. And it's sometimes appropriate, but it's not a law. It's not a rule. And I, I too often find that to say no good deed goes unpunished, uh, there's some danger in it because it can take away something really wonderful, which is to do good deeds, mm. right? I mean, we're not saying that good deeds are bad, right? Yeah. But, but if we let this one slip past the psyche and, and, and start to spread and go viral, then suddenly it gives us an excuse to not do something good for the sake of goodness. Right. Um, and, and so no good deed goes unpunished, I think is inaccurate. I'm not saying there isn't some truth to it because sometimes there is. I think the saying is really more that when you do good deeds, there certainly can be a vulnerability there. If you hold expectations that are unrealistic, that's certainly true. If you're very attached to the fact that you are doing this thing for someone else mm. and how great it is that you have done this thing for mm -hmm, them, mm -hmm. it leaves you wide open for that kind of thing. Right. And yet, you know, the, the, the Tao Te Ching says, do your work and then retreat, right? Do your work nice. and, and take no claim, no credit for it. Because the yeah. point is not that you get the credit for it. But the point is that you do the thing that you are deeply moved to do because it makes a difference, not because you need something in return. Yeah. And that's, I think, the magic of doing a truly good deed. Well said. Yeah. I need to adjust my mic here. It's twisting sideways. I noticed that. Go. I'm like, did you do that on purpose? I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> You're getting all gangster with the mic. You I know. know. Turning it sideways like and shit. Sideways gun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm good. I think I'm. <laughs> think I'm good. So, um, some well, de some good deeds go punished, but this. Is, but it's this idea that no good deed goes unpunished is just an absolute. Right. And that's the problem. And, with and it. really, it's an absolute. What, what it is is that um, what you're what you're really saying is that some people don't appreciate it when you do something good for them because they're not ready to enter into gratitude. They're not, they're not ready to receive that help. Yeah. And oftentimes it's because 
the good, the quote unquote good deed was done out of rapport rather than in rapport. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes maybe done foolishly, sort of right. like, uh, sort of like somebody who can't swim, tries to jump in the water to save somebody. Right. Okay. That's a good deed. That's probably going to punish you. It's misplaced. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Now this, this term is often used in the business world and it's usually associated with, um, you know, you got a policy that says you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. You're going to hold people accountable for X, Y, and Z. And then you try to bend the rule to help somebody out because they need it. Yeah. And then you end up getting in trouble for it. Right. You know, and, and that's often how this is pitched. Um, but um, this is not a law. It's not a law. That's the point. It's not a law. It's not a law. It's not even a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you did say love-hate relationship and it kind of reminded me that that's kind of a funky term, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, listen, listen carefully. Love, hate relationship. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty bipolar. It is. It's strange. And it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it bleeds into each other, you know, each idea, you know, you love, yeah. hate. Yeah. Relationship. Yay. Yeah. I don't know. It just, <laughs> we, I, we have a some, life death relationship. <laughs> I mean, I love hate and I have a relationship with it. It's awesome. Yeah. This yeah. reminds me of my mom saying that uh, fighting for peace is like screwing for virginity. Yeah. That's a great one. My mom used to say that all the time. That's great. So yeah, my mom was funny. Anyway, I think enough yeah. said about that, but I yeah. just, just wanted to mention that yeah, that kind of slipped done. off your tongue and it's like, yeah, that's, that's another one. Totally. I got um, it. There it is. You know. There it is. Let's do another one. Give, all me, right. give me another cross sticker. Oh my God. Lord, the whole idea of fall in love. Ah, yes. As if somehow by loving and by uh, surrendering to love, you are out of control and you're falling into something. It's a bit like the term lose yourself in a relationship. How the hell are you going to lose yourself in a relationship? I know what what, what people have told me that means to them, but I challenge the roots of that. Yeah. Fall in love and lose yourself in a relationship. Yeah. I want to, you know, the psychic bitch slap up the head, you know, just up, up the, <laughs> the backside of the head, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. The whole point of loving is to expand who you are and to grow who you are and to experience something that goes beyond your normal experience. Mm, of yeah. course, the idea is, oh my God, I would love to lose. I, all my life, I've wanted to lose myself. I've tried so hard because it would be wonderful. Uh-huh. <laughs> Instead of being afraid of losing myself, I want that. And yet I never have been able to. Mm. That's not because I haven't been in love. That's not because I haven't been devoted. That's not because I haven't surrendered deeply. Yeah, you're it's right. It's because I don't believe that my self is that small or that weak or that fragile Mm. that somehow falling in love and believing in something fully with my whole heart and spirit is going to somehow, you know, dissolve the good parts of me. Yeah. It sort of, it sort of implies that you didn't really want to do it. Yeah. But, like you're going but in half cocked or something. And you accidentally fell in, you yes. know, it's like, I didn't mean to get wet. But I'm falling yeah. in love. Splash. Right, right. Because, you know, you know, the funny thing is, um, <laughs> I mean, we've all used the term, yeah. right? And, and, and in the loose sense of our language. Sure. sure. Yeah. We use it, I use the term all the time. We've yeah. all used this term, right? Fall in love. But if I really analyze it, I usually actively swam towards love. Right. I but mean, just like, don't I, lose yourself. Don't lose yourself. Don't lose yeah. yourself. I climbed in. I jumped in. It's like, if your self was so damn great, then why are you falling in love in the first place? Yeah, right. right, (laughs) I mean, no, I mean, yourself is great, but the point is like, you know, what what you're worried about. Yeah. To fall is to imply that you've lost your balance. Right. And, and being in love with another person is not about losing your balance. Right. It's about expanding your horizons and becoming, and, and finding another part of yourself that was there. And it's so wonderful to find it. And the whole idea of losing yourself, I mean... Really? Like, think about that. Mm. If anything, when you love, it's a reflection of who you are and there's a big time mirroring going on. So if anything, you're finding yourself. You're finding that which you love deeply. And you're also, you know, in the process, probably discovering a lot of um, quote unquote personal demons that will pop up, you know, your fear, um, your preferences, your, um, you know, your sense of rigidity, all these things are going to come floating up at some point in a relationship. If you mm. go in full on, if yeah. you go in with both feet, 
you know, into the thing, if you go in with an open uh, sort of consciousness to experience it, you're going to discover stuff. Yeah. And not everything's going to be pretty. You know, not everything's so, going to feel great, but yeah, that's I got part a, of it. I got a question for you, Carlos. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm not going to say falling in love. Instead of saying, uh, I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you. Well, and by the way, I don't mind the yeah. term. I mind how yeah. people mean it. Right, right. The way we mean it. So, so just <laughs> as an exercise, said. as yeah. an exercise, yeah. I'm gonna try to use a different term. When you're growing in love with somebody, right? How do you know? When I'm growing in love with someone, how do I know? All I can say is that the internal experience that I have is one of expansion. Hmm. It's one of dissolving of certain boundaries, boundaries that feel immensely good to dissolve. <laughs> um, yeah. And my whole body mind is lit up in the way I would be lit up, I guess on those days when you feel your chemistry is just, you know, perfect. You know, you've, you just, you feel amazing. Like there's this um, connection that's a kinesthetic connection, um, but it also uplifts your way of looking out into the world and seeing the world. And Music is everywhere. I mean, it's very hypnotic. I mean, I feel like I'm hearing more beauty as well. So it, it's, it's all the senses become alive and awake. My whole being switches on. I mean, if you want to use a spiritual metaphor, I like, feel like all the chakras are just kind of spinning, buzzing, and expanding. And um, when I'm growing in love, uh, I feel like anything is possible. I feel like I'm going to be surprised by even more amazing things that I haven't even thought of yet. Like I feel like I'm connecting to um, luck, abundance, fortune, optimism. Uh, when I'm growing in love, I feel like there's a timelessness that happens. I lose a sense of um, limitation and I start to shift into almost a psychedelic experience of moving outside of time. So I start to imagine very strongly that I've known this person for a very long time that maybe maybe even goes beyond the limits of my physical years. So I start to have very beautifully irrational, creative imaginings about my situation and it spreads into my life in a powerful way. Um, I mean, I could keep going mm. with that, but that gives you a taste of yeah. how I know that. Wow. It's a very powerful, all engulfing, encompassing experience for me. Oh, it's beautifully powerful. said, beautifully said. Yeah. You know, not one thing that you said Sounded like you lost your balance and fell into an alligator pit. Well, that's relief. You know, I was sounded, really worried. That about sounds that. pretty awesome. Like that <laughs> sounds like more balance than usual. Yeah, you know that that sounds like growing, not falling. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like actually expanding in every direction. And does I'm willing one. to do whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah. And that willingness that that rather than thinking I can't, I'm just like, okay, how am I going to do it? Yeah, it's not I can't. Awesome. I want to meet the challenge of life or whatever it is or, mm -hmm. or connecting, or I don't see um, any of the boundaries that come up in the ego as insurmountable. Mm -hmm. I see them highly uh, optimistically. I, I think, hmm, wonderful. Mm. I wonder how we're gonna connect on this level. I don't think, oh, uh-oh, that's not gonna work. Uh-oh, love bit me again. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> right, I don't. Like and, 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 I, and I feel the person when they're not around. I literally yeah. feel that they're in my field of energy. Oh, that's great. And that's great. when I think of them, I truly feel that I'm actually connecting with them, that mm. it's not just some personal hypnotic experience. Mm -hmm. I truly feel as though I'm experiencing that person's essence in my aura, in my space. Mm, that's great. And I send yeah. them love and connection and talk to them as though they're here with me in a sense, just maybe nice. not externally. I don't speak it out in the world, but I think it and feel it and intend it very strongly. Ooh. And, and you know, um, there's no way you could miss all those things you just described. Hell no. It's happening. I you know, know when that's yeah. happening. I, I have a very peculiar, I'll just use the word. Too much gratitude. It's like, boom. yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. All those things you described, my experience too. Nice. All, all the, every single thing you described. Nice. I, I can relate to every one of those things. I have a very peculiar symptom. I guess hmm. it's not really a symptom. It's it's a a sign, and I know is I can't picture her face. Really, I lose the ability to picture her face. Wow! And um, what do you see instead? Um, I I see just um, sort of a a ghostly image of that person. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and and no matter yeah. how hard I try, I can't see details yeah. because because it doesn't matter. The details of what she looks like no longer matters. 
Okay, so that's so interesting because I'm recalling when we talked about this now. Uh, you're refreshing my memory when we were running. I think we talked oh, about it. Yeah. Um, and I and I can relate to that. I realized that I can see their face, but what happens um, often is that I, I tend to zoom into their eyes and then it's almost like uh, one image starts to be replaced by the other. It's like they, mm. all of a sudden their beauty on the, on the outside starts to become more and more porous and permeable like a mist. And what I'm seeing is like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like the light that is them. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I, yeah. and I have this sort of hallucinatory dream-like image of them kind of dissolving. But the, I, yeah, I still yeah, see their yeah. face, so it's not like I don't see their okay. face, but it's like I go into their eyes and it becomes beyond that. That's somehow. nice, yeah. Yeah, so I can totally relate to that. You know what's really funny is when um, uh, Tanya and I um, first got together, uh-huh. it was very shortly after we sort of just sort of solidified our relationship that, okay, we're a couple, right? Yeah. She left the country for a while, like right away. And wow. it was very, very hard. And the whole time, she, uh, no, she actually went to uh, the UK, oh, okay. was, and, and then spent some time in Cyprus, the, the country Cyprus, gotcha, yeah. Southern California Cyprus, <laughs> um, yeah, in, Long the, Beach. In, in the uh, yeah, in the yeah. Uh, beneath Turkey, yeah. Um, <laughs> so she left the country, and I didn't have any pictures of her, and I couldn't remember what she looked like, and oh, I was wow. so in love with this person, but I can't remember what they look like, and I, I went like a month not knowing what they look like. <laughs> oh my gosh, torture! <laughs> so it's it just kind of funny, but uh, sweet yeah. torture. Falling in love. There you go. Not, yeah, not, losing not, oneself. No, no, it's gaining oneself. Hell yeah. yeah. Here's my next one. You ready? Yep. The golden rule, which in the business world is this. The one who holds the gold makes the rules. Hmm. Okay. That particular golden rule. That particular. Not, 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 the, uh, not the sweet one that we all learn as kids. The one which do, is do, do, do unto, others, unto others as you want them, as you to, want them to do, do, to do, do unto you. Right? Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, this is, this is the, uh, um, the economic golden rule. The one who holds the gold makes the rules. Yes. Um, I don't know. Can I ask you when I say that, how do you feel? What do you think about? Um, what I feel is that that is, uh, how it works and I don't necessarily like it, Yeah, but I accept that that is pretty much how it works. If I were to simplify things, that's kind of Mm -hmm. how it works. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and, uh, I feel that way too, because I mean, you know, you and I, we're, we're, we can be very idealistic, yeah. but we're also very realistic. Yep. yep. And, it's and both. you know, we're not denying that the world works a certain way. Right. I'm not pretending that... that we're pragmatically positive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not pretending that, that, the, uh, that the gazelle is not going to get eaten by the more powerful lion. Right. I know that that's going to happen, right? Um, but I don't like it when people resign themselves that that rule is truly a universal law mm. because some wonderful change and wonderful growth happens when we realize that even the one who holds the gold still is subject to certain rules. True. And it's okay to challenge that. And, and, and to say the one who holds the gold makes the rule sometimes does not serve the one who's holding the gold. True. Because oftentimes the one who's holding the gold is paying you for your expertise. That's right. And when you become a yes man and you go, well, Hey, the boss said he wants it done this way. If you know that that's a mistake and you see something, you need to tell the one holding the gold that, Hey, let's, let's slow down. I'm just going to play devil's advocate perhaps. And I just want to make sure we look at this from all angles because that's my role here. That's what I'm being asked to do. The King needs his wizard. He does. Yeah, yeah. This I'm glad you said that. This is sort of the emperor emperor's new clothes concept. It is, it is. and yeah. it's it's uh, even people who are quite 
uh, powerful and uh, wealthy can open their hearts to compassion and wisdom. Uh, Sir Richard Branson or, or, or maybe even um, Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. These people are very powerful. Uh, perhaps the same is true for Bill Gates or for, um, you know, who is it? Um, um, Facebook. Um, Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. You know, um, I don't know that for a fact, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he... <laughs> had a meditation instructor or something yeah, like that. Right, I mean, right, right. It happens. I, I used to, when I was younger, uh, teach these really wealthy people, uh, Qigong, yoga, Tai Chi, um, and meditation. Yeah. Right. Right. And so it happens. Th- there you go. Yeah. Um, you know, um, the one who holds the gold makes the rule. Um, I think it's inaccurate. There's a lot of truth to the concept, mm-hmm. but there are inaccuracies in the concept. The one who holds the gold can certainly influence the rules. The one who holds the gold can find ways around the rules, you know, but it, uh, it's the idea that if there is a rule, a rule is something that is agreed upon. If you break the rule and I'm using the word rule within the context of a game. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you break the rule of a game, um, and you win, you actually never really won. So, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, um, this idea that if you're strong, if you're powerful, if you have leverage, which that's all money is, is, is a form of energy that can right. be used as leverage. If right. you can use for many other things, if you're using money as leverage, yes, you can break the lock. Yes. You can pry the door open when it's normally, normally closed, you know? True. Um, and there is power in that. And people favor you if you have more. So for Absolutely. example, uh, people who are well off get the best deals when they're the ones who don't need it. Yeah. And I do want to point out, there's a lot of people that believe this concept and they're in prison because of it. Right. So, you know, um, the one who holds the gold influences the rules, but does not necessarily make them, even though sometimes that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, give me another one, Carlos. What you got? Money is the root of all evil. Oh. Amen. Speaking on, on that last topic, yeah, let's just piggyback go. that let's right there. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that money is the root of all evil. And um, I think that that stems from a pretty basic uh, biblical uh, misquote. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I believe the quote is something like, the love of money is the root of all evil, yes. rather than money being the root of all evil. And that's yeah. a little bit of maybe academic, scholastic uh, laziness on the part of the listeners that begins to spread uh, ideas like a viral meme, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would go a little further to say that maybe we need to examine what is meant by loving money. Um, if what you mean by loving money is that you love what you can do with money, you love the opportunities that money give you because you can create such wonderful things in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you love the good things you bring to your family, to your friends and to, to other people that, that matter to you, then that's applying love. The principle that, that we really ought to apply to just about everything to something that is kind of neutral, you know, power is neutral. So when you apply love to it, doesn't it sweeten it to a degree? I think what, Mm, what we're really saying, um, when you say that love, the love of money is the root of all evils. I think maybe what you're attempting to say by that is saying, don't get caught up in a singular focus around money. Realize that there's something much bigger than that. And really what you need to be asking yourself is what does this money allow me to do that's so great that you love? Right. Right? Yeah. Nice. Um, but I don't have a problem with someone saying, you know, I love making money. I love being rich. I love being wealthy. I love the idea of, how, you know, that's great. As long as you can temper that with wisdom, I mean, because... You know, whatever problems you have, you add money to it and it's going to not protect you from those problems, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It can actually bloat them. I mean, we all see people crash and burn. Uh, people who suddenly <laughs> win the lottery, many of them become poor. Mm. Uh, within three years, they lose it all because they're, they can't handle the stress and they start throwing money at everything. And they get into drugs or they, they get into dangerous behaviors or they, you know... They mm-hmm. expose them to the wrong people because everybody comes around them like a moth to the flame. Yeah. And there's a lot of issues that come up. There's a responsibility when you are well off. There's a lot of responsibility with how you handle the power that is money. Sure. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. You know, um, 
the uh, the the Indian guru that my family followed that I grew up with right. um, used to say, um, um, when the pond is full of water, the frogs come. When the pond is empty, the frogs leave. Yeah. Fair weather friends and, and there you blue go. sky companions. Yeah. And when you've got money, the frogs come. And when yeah. the money's gone, the frogs leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Uh, but now he also said something I think is very wise. Um, well, I would say this. There's wisdom in it. Yeah. I wouldn't. I, this is one I want to be careful about, you know, making a truth out of. Um, but there is a lesson in it is that money's like a pair of shoes. If it's too tight, it's really uncomfortable. If it's too loose, it can also be uncomfortable. And, and, um, uh, it's just, you know, it's about finding balance for who you are. Right. You know what I mean? And, and some people are very comfortable with a lot of money and they handle a lot of money. Fine. It's not an issue. They do incredibly wonderful things because of it. Exactly. And they've got a different, um, matrix inside their, uh, awareness that, that it can handle that. I mean, we might call this, um, the financial blueprint, right. That, that, uh, T. Harv Eker talks about that, mm. you know, um, give me five minutes and I can predict your financial future, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that whole okay, idea that, yeah, that yeah. you know how you grew up and what your ideas about money are uh, create a sort of a blueprint, uh, a foundation or a matrix from which you uh, will either earn and lose or not earn at all or earn a lot and keep it and continue to grow your money. These mm-hmm. are all different possibilities that can happen based upon your underlying assumptions and presuppositions going into the world. Yeah, um, I think that. Uh, as a person working through uh, his own uh, financial health and 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 wealth and abundance mindset, I think it's super important for me personally um, to be okay uh, loving the experience of of what I can create and manifest through earning wonderful amounts of money. And I, I'd like to continue to grow my capacity to earn money, mm-hmm. but it's never ever going to be a singular focus. I right. have a purpose on this planet yeah. and I, it's becoming yeah. clearer and clearer to me all the time. And my success is rooted in the idea that I want to reach goals, that I have goals, that I'm working to reach them. And money is a process. It's a, it's a wonderful reflection of what I'm doing. It tells me it's a feedback system and, and, I, yeah. and I love that I have that. So. If I said I love money, that's where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but everyone who knows me knows that that's not the focus. It's just that we have to adjust and shape our focus in order to be the kind of person who can make money, right? And right. to keep it and exactly. to use it wisely. You know, you can you can focus on earning money without turning your back on other values and other things. Absolutely, it's sort of like I, and, and I I forget who said this, um, uh, but it goes. One who chases success runs away from peace. Yeah. And it's the idea, it's the chasing aspect. Right. 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 Success doesn't make you run away from peace. It may or it may not. It may even create more peace, but it's the chase. It's the running after it. Mm-hmm. It's the running after it part. You know, you don't necessarily need to run after it. Just walk towards it, you know, apply some effort and be balanced and don't burn all your energy chasing it, mm-hmm. you know, but spend a, a reasonable amount of time on it. Take it, take it seriously, but not too seriously. Just like, you know, you're going to take it seriously enough to eat some food today and, and breathe your oxygen, but you know, not go crazy chasing it. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, balance. Yeah. Okay, Carlos, you ready? I'm ready. I know, Cur- what, I know what you're going to say, but I'm waiting for it. Sorry. Curiosity killed the cat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a uh, terrible saying. I know. Let's not be curious, people. I know. I know. Because, you know, you'll die. Right. Don't learn things. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, if you want to get murdered, go be ahead and be curious. curious. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, goodness <laughs> gracious. You know, I, uh, what would be a better one? Stupidity killed the cat? Yes. Yeah. Carelessness killed the cat. Gross negligence killed the cat. Yeah. Complete <laughs> ignorance. Uh, that's yes. a blender. Uh, going against your better wisdom killed the cat. Yes. Right. Right. Curiosity did not no. kill the cat. No. My grandfather used to say, 
Cats are so curious. If you move a piece of paper a half an inch, they'll walk across the room to investigate it. <laughs> and, and But that's what I love about cats. Yeah. Cats are amazing. Yeah, they they are, are curious. And that's one of the reasons we love them. We're, we find them so amusing. You know, I love to watch a cat just... I love to watch a cat's mind just get completely crisscrossed when they see something they don't understand. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's so Mm -hmm. cute. Um, Curiosity. I know you're somebody who's always had a lot to say about curiosity. Yeah. Well, I mean, the hardest things that you deal with can often be reframed if you just get curious about it. Isn't that true? Like if you're so stuck in the problem, if you were to really switch gears, change gears and get curious about it, you're a lot more likely to solve it. Yeah. Isn't that true? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, here's a real simple example to just get curious if somebody has already solved this Yeah, and just go, gosh, you know, I have a problem. I wonder if anybody on YouTube has ever made a video about how to solve this problem I'm facing. I'm curious. And then suddenly you know how to solve this problem on your computer or how to fix your leaky faucet or <laughs> plus i mean you know maybe this is my own uh anecdotal experience but how many extremely curious people do you know who are just fucking stupid oh god a lot of them <laughs> a lot of them no, i'm just kidding of course you know yeah. um uh, you know usually the smartest person in the room is also the most curious person in the room typically yeah you know i mean that's that's isn't that the deal with um sherlock holmes yes isn't he pretty curious the game is afoot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, you know, really think about it. Like, some of the most interesting people in the world, really what we find interesting about them is their curiosity. They just ask questions. They investigate. They, they make you curious. They deduce. Yeah, scientists are curious. Mm. And um, mathematicians are curious. And physicists are curious. That's why we love the cosmos. And we, I mean, remember... Uh, um, Linda Palmer, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so curious in her exploration of philosophy, you know, yeah. at Carnegie Mellon and then, and then switching to something completely different, like brain science, because she's right. curious and wants to develop, you know, um, yeah. an understanding of, you know, human memory and endocannabinoids, you know, that, that, yeah. that what yeah. a, what a extraordinarily, uh, curious person, yeah. you know? Um, and, and she's a brainiac, you know, she's amazing. Totally, yeah. what, a, what a brilliant person, you know? And, and I mean, uh, imagine all the breakthroughs that humanity has experienced. Uh, how many of those would not have happened without curiosity? True. I think, um, everyone that we've had on the show has been a, a, a curious person. Uh, you know, uh, James Key, you know, the rhetorician, oh, yeah. uh, storyteller. Um, oh, yeah. Very uh, curious. Janice Davis. Janice Davis. She was very, very Holy curious. Cow, you know, yeah. Um, without her curiosity, how would she be uh, capable of developing the compassionate listening skills that she's developed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, or yeah. um, Amy Hay. You know, with her curiosity about shapes and forms and textures. Yeah, patterns, exactly. Exploring, I, you know, shades of this and that. I, and I remember her saying, "It's right there. Look at it." Right. <laughs> you know. You know. I love that. Oh yeah, goodness, I mean, we yeah. could just go on and on, but yeah, exactly. curiosity so, is such a wonderful gift. Gobs and gobs of it. So. Yeah. Tell me about Whiskey Dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gotta hear about yeah. Whiskey Dick. Okay, so this is a funny one, this? and you know, yeah. for those who are uh, sensitive uh, folks out there, um, just going to let you know we're, we're going to get a little explicit with this one. Brown chicken, brown cow. Yeah. So, um, so cover your ears cover in your three, ears, two, two, one, one and go. Um, so for many, many years growing up, I had heard this term, um, obviously, you know, at about teenage years and up this concept of whiskey dick. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why I didn't get it, but people were using it and it just seemed plausible. It seemed true that what they were saying was, um, that when you drink whiskey, that you'd have this sort of unstoppable erection and you could go for hours and <laughs> you'd be this, you know, machismo kind of, you know, it'd be this awesome sexual experience. And maybe it's the frame I had in my mind believing that, or maybe it's just something else. But um, as I got older and, and started to have sex, make love, et cetera, um, and drink whiskey and, and other alcoholic beverages, I never found... Uh, let's say any issues with, um, being physically ready Mm. for the experience, nor any 
issues with maintaining. And so I thought that maybe the numbness of the alcohol caused me to sort of feel like this, uh, um, I don't know, uh, super lover or something. Sure, sure. And, and so for years, that's what I thought it was until having heard it enough times and discussed it enough times, I realized that there was a mismatch between my concept of whiskey dick and what other people were saying mm-hmm. whiskey dick was because obviously and for those of you who don't know this that term means you drink alcohol and you can't get an erection or you drink alcohol <laughs> and you're sort of flaccid and not really able to maintain yeah and you kind of have to call the whole thing off because you're too drunk to have sex mm-hmm. well that hasn't been my experience and so when i realized that i, I kind of felt for a moment i felt foolish but then i kind of smiled and realized that's actually a good thing yeah. You know, it's yeah. not a bad thing at all. The power of the fool. <laughs> the power of the fool protecting me once again. I'm such a fool and it protected me. Oh, Yay. That's great. So I just think it's kind of funny. It's a, it's a little, it's a little personal to share that, of course. Sure. Um, yeah. But, you know, we're amongst friends. This is the auth- authenticity. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. Uh, crew. So um, anyway, I shared it. that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your honesty. You're welcome. We'll, we'll yeah. hope that Oliver doesn't edit this out too much. Yeah. Yeah. But if he, if he chooses to, we're okay with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> The early bird gets the worm. What is it about that that gets your goat? Um, now, um, we started this episode by saying that we're, we're, we're not necessarily criticizing all of these, these things, right? But this one, I have a personal problem with. <laughs> I have a lot to say, and I'm going to get it off my chest right now. The early bird gets the worm has been used against me. I have been discriminated against because I'm a night owl. I am That's not an terrible. early bird. And, uh, the night owl gets the, gets the, the mouse. Exactly. Yeah. Who wants to eat a worm when you can have a mouse? Right. Right. I mean, or maybe even a rabbit, totally. you know, if you, you know, so, totally. so, um, well, it's just, sometimes we have these sayings in life, right? And again, this is an episode about, about just catching these things and not letting them silk into our subconscious. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there is nothing wrong with being a night owl. Nothing at all. There's nothing wrong with being an early bird. Right. Nope. But the point is, um, there are different rhythms for different people, and um, it's time we stop discriminating against people that have a different biorhythm. Right. And this probably arises or derives from um, the puritanical upbringing you know, of our country. You know, we've kind yeah. of started this country with a bunch of Puritans. Yeah, uh, And I say well, this country, well, I'm I believe this too. Obviously yeah. talking about America. I'm not talking about all the wonderful indigenous people that were here before. Yeah. But I am talking about that sort of mindset of that uh, puritanical work ethic that is, has become known. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of dismay when I think about that because so much of, of the health problems that we have and social disorders result from that tension, that sort of rigid adherence to an idea without paying attention to the body, without caring for uh, the bigger picture of family. Um, I mean, other cultures, many of them don't do that. We're the only ones that, that pride ourselves on our 18 hour days. Like right, what right. the hell exactly. is that shit? And, and, and being such, such a wimp that you have to take a vacation and, right. you know, uh, it's just, you're going to, you're going to have a, uh, you know, maternity leave for longer than in two weeks. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, you know it drives me nuts. Um, even six months. It's like, no, however long it needs to be. The, the, the reason it bothers me is I am not a lazy human being. Right. Right. I, I have, I have worked and applied myself and, you know, gone after advanced degrees and worked incredibly hard and, and, and pulled off miracles sometimes yep. in the work world. Right. Um, and it just drives me nuts when somebody's like, you know, come on, lazy bones, time to get up. What you're strolling into work when, you know, it's like, right. just because you're too weak to stay up at night. I'm just kidding. I'm being a brat. I exactly. Should, should well, yeah. how many people, um, that are really, really mega rich are late owls. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is an example. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They, um, they, they do say it is a sign of genius. And even if that is true, yeah. um, you can be just as smart being an early bird, but you certainly Absolutely. can't say to somebody who's not an early bird that they're somehow 
uh, either lazy, unsuccessful, going to be unsuccessful. You can, I mean, mm-hmm. you can be successful, whoever you are, as long as you just find a way. You got to find your ikigai, right? Right. The things that, that you can get yeah. paid for, the things that you're good at, the things that you love, the things that people need, and mm-hmm. zero in on what that sweet spot is inside yeah. of And when you find that, you're not only happy, you're successful and abundant. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. whether you get up late, stay up late, or get up early and go to bed early. Exactly. And just because I have a personal problem with it doesn't mean I don't understand the point that sure. the saying is making. Yeah. Basically, it's about going for it. It's about being prompt. It's about being prepared. It's yeah. about doing what's necessary. You know, I, mean, I get work that. Ethic I get it. And yeah. All that. Yeah. yeah that, that's no problem. But but this idea that but but I, I do find that oftentimes there is an extra value judgment that is superimposed on that one. Yeah. There, there seems to be like. Um, only is implied in in quotes or or mm. in parentheses or so. So like only the early bird gets the worm, right? Like that's the only way. Yeah, that's right. kind of implied, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like you know, um, going to bed early and getting up early certainly is a good thing, yeah. right? And can be, can be, and going to bed late and getting up late also protects the rest of the tribe from getting eaten by hyenas when the sun goes down. Amen, brother. I don't want to get eaten by that by a hyena. No, we are. Saviors. Yeah, thanks for doing that, Sash. Hey, anytime, man. <laughs> All right, so, so what else? Okay, so this is going to be my, my last one. Okay. Okay, here we go. You ready? Yep. Oh, boy, this one gets me. Nice guys finish last. <laughs> Such bullshit. Yeah. Nice guys don't finish last. That's a dumb statement. You know, um, uh, actually, you know who finishes last is the person who finished last. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's really technically what it is. Right. Um, There's so many, you know, sometimes the most unprepared person finishes last. Right. You know? Well, and and you know, the the way people use that is what's really offensive. Exactly. It's like you're telling nice guys, don't be a nice guy. Yeah. If you want to win, you have to be an asshole. Got to be a dickhead. Yeah. That's not... I just, I don't see it. It's just not true. No, it's not. Um, I think you have to be strong if you're going to be nice. You have to be clear about your boundaries if yeah. you want to be nice. You've got to value yourself if you're going to be nice. If you're just mm-hmm. people pleasing, well, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? If you're being weak. Yeah. If you're not standing up for yourself, if you're not, um, you know, say, speaking what you need to say, if you're not, if you're not finding your voice or whatever, mm-hmm. um, if you're not creating, you know, healthy boundaries with people, then yeah, that that's going to be a problem, but you shouldn't advise someone not to be nice because kindness is a huge thing. I mean, that's so important. I mean, mm-hmm. why would you date someone that's not kind? If you do, yeah. you're kind of idiotic. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're addicted yeah. to pain or you're addicted right. to being mistreated. Like how foul is that? Yeah. You know, right, right. being nice is a good thing. And if you are a nice guy and you're hearing this right now, mm-hmm. Be strong. Don't be weak. Yeah. But be nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. What was that meme that was going on on Facebook? It said, in a world where you can be anything you want, be kind. Right. Remember that? That was so That's nice. Beautiful. I, I Whoever made that. that up. Oh, bravo. You, you know, know, and, and at the end of the enlightenment video, um, the producer asked me, you know, what, if you could sort of leave people with a final word, what would you say? And I got really emotional when I said this, but it was really, I'm not sure if you can tell in the, in the film, but mm. I almost was in tears because I did start crying. He actually yeah. cut the, the film oh. <laughs> right after I said it. But what a nice I just said, guy. Yeah. I would want people to be kind to one another because yeah. we really need that right now. Awesome. We yeah. We really need Beautiful. that. Beautiful. And by the way, if anybody's not seen the uh, video, it's on YouTube, Enlightenment, starring our very own Carlos Casados uh, <laughs> as as uh, one of the interviewees on there. Um, Thanks. It, it's yeah. a must. It's a must watch. Yeah, so I, I felt honored to be part of that. Yeah. Um, but you know, back to this nice guy thing. Um, there's a book out there called No More Mister Nice Guy, and it's it's filled with some decent advice about you know creating boundaries and accountability for yourself and not getting used and abused and stuff like that. But I worry a little bit about, um, you know, people misinterpreting sometimes and just sort of not being the kind person that they're meant to be, that they want to be. I'm not saying don't read it. I'm saying it's got good stuff in it. It's useful. Mm -hmm. But don't confuse niceness um, for weakness. Yeah. You know, I I have from time to time have had to say that with people I've dated in the past. I say, you Mm. know what? Don't ever think that I don't have an edge. I do. Uh, I'm a human being. Um, and I do my best to be kind, 
mm-hmm. because I think it's important. I like to be nice. Uh, but to confuse that for weakness is a big mistake because I'm not weak. I'm very resilient. And that's at the end of the day, I value, um, my friends and myself and my path and what I'm doing. And I'll do what I have to do to protect all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same for, you know, somebody who's trying to take advantage in some other way. It's always that thing. Well, I'm going to be kind, but there mm-hmm. are boundaries and there's a place where it's like, do not tread. Yeah. Or else. You yeah. Know? Yeah. We all yeah, have exactly, that. Exactly. We all you have know, that. This, this, uh, nice guy, nice guys finish last concept is, is, is often, um, associated with an, a similar saying, which is if you're not cheating you're not trying to win yeah and and it's the same kind of mindset you know yeah, like, like at any cost like, i must win how, seriously? how, how really? foul is that that's ridiculous yeah because if you win at any cost I, I then you didn't really miss what the did point. you win in the end yeah, yeah. miss the point you know anyways yeah. well and and yeah. you know to bring this uh into a lighter um finish on that yeah um that's another thing that i misunderstood that mm. statement, nice guys finish oh, last. Really? Um, you know me, yeah, dirty mind, pure heart, right? There you go. Um, oh, I always interpreted that as, uh, you know, this idea that 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 you're going to please her before you please yourself. That you, <laughs> you know what I mean? That if you're really <laughs> nice, great. yeah. If you're really uh-huh. a nice person, that you will care about how they feel, and so you'll finish last, and you'll finish last so because that she gets to finish. The whole point is that first. she gets to finish first. I mean, beautiful because you yeah. love that person and you want them to feel good. I'm going <laughs> to so, give you an ink blot test. Yeah, you yeah. know what? I interpret <laughs> things differently, and it just shows that's you great. how I start to realize like how how freaking weird I must be to actually have thought that for oh, all these man, years, and then great. I got older and realized, oh my god, that's not even how they meant it. That's not about sex. Yeah, yeah right. that's great. Everything oh to god. me is about sex, I love right? It. I love no. it. I but love seriously, like like. I'm not displeased that I interpret things wrongly sometimes because mm-hmm. a lot of times it's stuff like this and I go, oh, that's what you fucking meant by that? Yeah. How weird. Oh, gosh. gosh. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, oh, man. Well, Carlos, let, let's come to the last one. I think we're about out of time here. All right. We're going to wrap it? the show up. Yeah. The last one is one from your list and uh, it is oh. Love Hurts. Love Hurts. Does it really? Does it have to? Is that a great frame to have when you're going into love? Love that hurts. love hurts. I mean, does it really hurt? Because you described falling in love earlier, and it was didn't sound anything like hurt, did it? Pretty glorious, you know. <laughs> and what is meant by love? If you say love hurts, yeah, yeah, love hurts. Um, again, uh, I think being if, being in love and doing loving things and being a loving person is a good deed, and we covered that early in the show. That you know the whole idea of of, of a good deed being punished, you it know. Does. Um, so um, love can involve hurt, but love itself doesn't hurt. Love doesn't hurt. Well, it, it seems to imply that love is a weapon, and I don't believe that. Yeah. If yeah, you believe exactly. that, then you're a sociopath, yeah, and right. you should just jump off a cliff because <laughs> yeah, right, right. You shouldn't be around um, hurting people with with mm-hmm. playing with their emotions. I mean, that's just dumb. But also, it's the idea that that you have maybe no boundaries, and you're going to be so open to being wounded and and you know here's the knife honey just stab me in the chest like no hell no yeah um you know that's that's a really important thing love hurts why yeah and you know i think um in in our modern world with um sitcoms you know television shows mm-hmm. there's there oftentimes is 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 a mockery of love yeah you know and and it's funny and it's okay for a tv show but we got to be really careful about about taking those as as realisms as truth you know like i think of of the mom and dad on everybody loves raymond Mm -hmm. now we secretly know they really love each other but they play these characters like they're so miserable in love (laughs) you know love is such an awful thing you know yeah and uh uh i i think i think it's the lack of love that really hurts it's not the love part i think you're right and if we were to turn that phrase around to what it maybe really ought to say is to open yourself to a relationship could involve some hurt if it doesn't go the way you hope. Yes. That's really what it's saying. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And that is true. You have to be willing to risk something in order to, uh, to achieve something. It's nothing ventured, nothing gained. But yeah. then again, it's also that statement of anything worth doing is worth doing badly at first. Mm-hmm. And, f- you know, failure is not failure, but feedback. Yeah. It's all those things, right. all right. in that statement. But love hurts not really a good frame to have when you're going into love yeah exactly you know it's like saying children hurt well so having a child could hurt right yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um 
children are amazing. And it's, it, it relates back to the compassion fatigue nonsense. Yeah. You know, oh, so, you know, <laughs> when you love people, it's just going to open you to being hurt. Well, mm-hmm. all right. Yeah. Well, we did it again, Carlos. Yeah, this was great exploring these ideas. I like talking about it. And I'm glad that, um, that we didn't discuss a bunch of them beforehand because it, it allowed mm-hmm. me to hear uh, your exploration and yeah, you to hear mine. Totally. It, was, it was just it was fun great. to, to fun. think about it. Yeah, it was it's probably a, uh, hundreds of statements we could do this with, but it was fun just the ones we picked. You know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but this this is really about a mindset. You know, it's not about statements. It's yeah. about a mindset. It's exploring about, ideas. Yeah. yeah, about exploring. So, uh, all right. Well, my, hey, let's let's bag it, my fellow intrepid explorer. All right, fellow psychonaut. Thanks again, man. All right, it's been great. Awesome. been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This show is produced by Oliver Altine. That's me. I also wrote the theme song, which you're listening to right now, and the rest of the music for the show. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please like us on Facebook and follow us on YouTube. And you can find our website at authenticityshow.com. Thank you for listening and have an authentic day.